You're listening to the Beatbox and Beat Frank show. We have a big show for you today. Really, the next two weeks are going to be pretty lengthy shows. So, buckle you don't up. Like us, I don't know why you're here in the first place, but these are especially not the episodes for you. Um, but all that to say, we are very, very close to the start of college basketball season. So, we are going to start with our conference previews on this show. As you like to remind people, there's a power six in Correct. college basketball. So we will we'll do the first three conferences today, ACC, Big East, Big 12, and then get to uh, the next three on next week's show, which we'll have a, a special guest on to break those down with us. But first, college football is still in full swing. Lots of things are happening. We did not have any ranked matchups last week, but there were still plenty of winners and I would argue more notably losers, but start with the winners. Who was your big winner of last week? I'm going to go Northwestern. Call me crazy. I'm going to take the Cats. They're undefeated. They gave the state of Indiana their first loss in football. Um, They look decent enough. The offense looks pretty good. The defense looks very solid, and they've worked their way not just – not just into the Big Ten title picture, but into the college football playoff picture. There are ESPN statisticians that have to run the numbers to see what the odds are that Northwestern is going to make the playoff because of the start they've gotten off to this year. Before the season started, nobody would have circled Northwestern-Purdue um, on the schedule as a big game, but it was. It was arguably are. the biggest game of last week. Uh, two undefeated teams in the Big Ten West. Um, and appropriately, Northwestern will will play the other one in Wisconsin this week. But, yeah, um, if you're scoring at home, Peyton Ramsey, Michael Penix combined 8-0 on the year. So that's my spin zone here. But, um, yeah, Peyton Ramsey has always loved to play against Purdue, and this game was no exception. But it's, again, as we keep saying every week, just night and day from last year to this year for Northwestern resembling a competent football team, especially offensively. And there are plenty of talented players on Purdue. That's, that's a good team. Um, I mean, all, all the weapons they have on offense, all the returners they have in their front seven defensively, but for Northwestern to get this win um, ahead of another big game, like, yeah, this is, this is the team that you have to, with a straight face, talk about, you know, percentages, scenarios um, regarding the playoff. They, I mean, they're playing for the Big Ten West title this week, basically. A win here, and they are in the driver's seat to once again go to the Big Ten championship game. Right, and I mean, Wisconsin was uh, another big winner of the week. Um, I think most people expected Wisconsin to win that game, even though they were a little bit of an unknown only playing a bad Illinois team, but I mean, they, they made Michigan at times look even worse than they made Illinois look. Yeah, that was, uh, it was impressive from Wisconsin for sure. I mean, they just looked so much faster, so much more dominant on each side of the ball. Michigan did not belong in the game. Like it was plain and simple. They just did not belong in the game. And Joe Milton, the guy who I've talked and raved about basically the past few weeks looked very mediocre in that game and even got pulled. So 
Michigan's in a world of hurt. Wisconsin look very, looks very good. They're going to have to go up against a good Northwestern defense. Um, I think their defense is, is well-suited to play against Northwestern's offense. So this could very well be a low-scoring game at Ryan Field, which I think is, is what Ryan Field was built for. I mean, that's just Big Ten West football. It's Big Ten poetry right there. Yeah. Like, if you had to make a haiku, it would be something along the lines of Northwestern Wisconsin at Ryan Field, final score, 13 to 10. I don't know how many syllables that was, but yeah. Yeah. No, like, I I feel like every, um, you know, like, C.J. Beathard game against Wisconsin was, like, 10-6. Yeah. I was – not in the picture this year, so Northwestern can just slide in and uh, take on that role, and I'm sure they will. But, yeah, in this game, Wisconsin was scoring points without issue, and they were keeping Michigan from doing pretty much anything offensively. So, mm-hmm. for Wisconsin, you know, obviously this is not the Michigan team that we have come to expect every year, but it gives them a lot more legitimacy than just – having played one game and having blown out Illinois. Um, following that up with an equally, if not more impressive effort against Michigan, I think really gives them a boost. And yeah, they, they have had a couple louder victories, I would say, than what Northwestern's been able to do to this point, but they are basically at the same level. And, you know, it's, hard, it's really hard to see the winner of this game not winning the division. Um, it, like, it's it's crazy that we're kind of talking about this, but we are, you know, this is going to be past the the halfway point of the season already uh, for the Big Ten. So we are, we're kind of getting to that time. And, I mean, Wisconsin has had the benefit of only playing a couple games. So I don't, I don't know how to read into that. But, I mean, they, they haven't really shown any weaknesses so far. So that's, uh, that's certainly something you want. Yeah, I mean, the, the offense looks really good, and I think that was the biggest concern for just about everyone. They did lose some playmakers on defense, but you know you're going to get a solid unit each and every year from Wisconsin. So continuity was there. It was what, we're, what are we going to get offensively? And so far, the returns have been very good. Yeah. Um, another winner had was uh, Tulsa. Yeah. And by extension, Oklahoma State. Because a lot of the uh, the hand wringing that was done after the season opener, they struggled to get past Tulsa. Tulsa's looked pretty fine since. They're ranked now, and uh, they beat SMU, who we both agree is a good football team. They the offense is there. The defense, more importantly, is very good for Tulsa. Like very quietly, they have a strong unit defensively, and that is what helped them win this game against SMU. Yeah, they tightened up when they needed to. Um, SMU had built a three-score lead, um, so to be able to to come back and, I mean, I know this isn't the gambling show, but lock of the week was SMU plus three, so they essentially blew a 20-point lead, which I wasn't happy about. But mm-hmm. uh, for Tulsa, this is just another of a, a season of great performances. I mean, like, you don't want to – derive too much in, in the way of moral victory from a loss but looking back like the Oklahoma State game was a good performance the win over UCF was the first one that kind of started turning heads like hey you know Tulsa is actually a good football team and then this a another win over a top 20 team in SMU um, 
and are not ranked now, but at the time and, and certainly deserving of that ranking, like the, yeah, that, that gives them even more credibility and they'll have an opportunity to keep that momentum rolling um, this week against Tulane. But I mean, this is a, this is a massive win for Tulsa, massive for them to get into the top 25 um, in what has been a, a crazy season. So you gotta, you gotta tip your cap for sure. And it adds some legitimacy, legitimacy to the American as well. Like we, we've talked about how they're not just like a two trick show anymore at the top. There are many more teams that are still very solid and very good that you can put in against most power conference teams, you know, middle of the pack power conference schools. And it's going to be either a good game or they're going to win outright. So um, continues to show the depth of the American. East Carolina is generally a pushover, but outside of them, yeah, like everybody else is going to give you a good game. So that's, uh, yeah, that's like we've been saying, that's not something that you would have seen like just a few years ago. So progress is being made. It, it is becoming a, a, a pretty strong football conference. There is not a power six in football, but if there was. They try probably, so hard to make it, but. Oh, the, they, yeah. They're, I, the American, I think, is more mad about the basketball thing or yeah. like American fans that have interacted with online. Um, but that's a discussion for a different time. Um, do you have any more winners? I was going to throw Notre Dame in there. I thought they looked very good against Boston College. Red bandana game at BC, always a difficult one. Always, uh, you know, great story overall. BC always comes to play. Great jerseys. And uh, Notre Dame just gave it to them from the jump and it, it was over from there. So uh, credit, credit to Notre Dame, not having a letdown after the big win and, and being able to uh, take care of an opponent that they should beat. Yeah. That was a big opportunity for a letdown game, especially with it being red bandana game where BC typically does a lot better than you would expect them to just on paper. Um, I mean, to their credit, they at least got it back to a push, which is a little bit of a moral victory for them, but that just speaks to how big of an advantage Notre Dame was able to get out to. The offense is really clicking now. And that was a big area of concern yep. for the first several weeks of the season. It was, it was the defense, um, you know, doing everything for them. And they're just holding on for dear life against teams that were, I mean, greatly inferior. Um, now not really having the same problems. And I, I think, you know, they, the Clemson win gave them a lot of confidence. Um, if you can move the ball against a defense like that, you can move it against anybody else you're going to play. Um, so it was, it was good to see them take that as an indication of what they can be rather than just, you know, resting on their laurels or being emotionally drained um, from such a big win. In a similar vein, I have to give the same shout-out to Florida. It would have been a big opportunity for a letdown game against <laughs> an Arkansas team that has been better than anybody expected. But – they absolutely took it to them from the jump. Um, it was it was just a route, and I mean Florida's offense is just scary. They were part of that scoring barrage that happened in like the middle of the day on Saturday, where you look down every couple minutes at the scores, and it was just exponentially going up. Yeah, love to see points. I'll never be upset about that, but uh, absolutely not. Yeah, some some games got out of hands very quickly. Uh, that's that's all the winners I've got. Yep. Um, not not as many losers as 
you normally would see, but we have to, I think, start with Michigan. Yep. And this is... Uh, I actually went with the state of Michigan. The state of Michigan? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's the state has seen better days, um, but it's not as embarrassing to lose to Indiana as it would be most years. So I'm, I'm not going to be... Definitely not. I mean, that, that's not where I was going. Simply, like, the state of Michigan football both Michigan State and Michigan. That's fair. Who'd have thought, like, preseason, you weren't expecting much out of Michigan State, sure. And Michigan, you were expecting better, but still not a ton. But who'd have thought that they would be, as a collective, worse than the Ohio schools, the Indiana schools, and the Illinois schools? Probably not many people. So that is, that's just where they're at, and it's, it's bad. It's very I bad. Mean, if- if you want to play the state game, you could just have the playoff Ohio and Indiana schools, like Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Ohio you State, could. Indiana. Like yeah. the only the only school that could really be upset and have a legitimate argument that I would hear is Alabama. But yep. anybody else, you lost a game or your opinion is irrelevant to me. But um yeah, like and like we knew Michigan State was not gonna be good. D'Antonio got out um, at the right time from yep. a roster perspective, um, you know, not to say anything about the off the field stuff, but um, this this was not a very good roster. We knew that coming in, and even so, Michigan lost to this team, and they are, I mean, by all accounts, probably having a worse season. Like mm-hmm. they they had what you know we thought a lot of people thought was a big win first game of the season. Um, against Minnesota, but I think we kind of overlooked how fortunate Minnesota was to win double-digit games last year um, against a, a very fortunate schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanner Morgan is is not who he was last year, um, but Tyler Johnson loss has, has certainly hit him hard. Uh, so, so PJ Flex a little bit fraudulent, but like Joe Milton had a great game there. We, we were anointing him as the guy. He has looked... I mean, hopeless for the most part in the next few games. And now there is a quarterback controversy um, at Michigan once again. Is I feel like we, we have one way or another most seasons. So, I mean, they're, they're, cert- they're not getting any closer to where they want to be. They want to be competing for Big Ten championships. They've never really been in contention for a division title because they can't beat Ohio State. And... Normally, by the time that game comes up on the schedule anyway, they don't have a shot of winning the division anyway. So right. you want to beat your rivals. You want to win Big Ten championships. You want to legitimately be in the conversation for the playoff and national championships. And they're not. And they're not getting closer. Like, if anything, they're getting further away. Like At this point, you have to give us a reason to believe it because we have not seen it since – Harbaugh has taken over. And obviously yeah. since before then. Like they're, they're winning, they're getting to like nine wins a season. But again, when you are consistently finishing third and below in your own division, like, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of programs would be satisfied with that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that don't consider themselves like one of college football's elite programs like Michigan thinks that about itself and they they're not satisfied with you know looking up at Ohio State and Penn State and 
a lot of the last decade at Michigan State in that division as well. So I don't know what to say at this point. It's what do you do? I mean, that that's the the million dollar question at Michigan. What do you do? Do you continue to ride it out or do you try and start from scratch? Because start from scratch, I genuinely have no idea where you go to find a coach at this point. No, I don't need, and I, there were, uh, there were people that were starting to talk about that. And like PJ's Fleck, PJ Flex name is one that keeps getting thrown around for some reason. Um, no idea why. I, yeah, like he's, he's going to ride last season where they were like at best an eight and 14 um, into like, some better job and it's you know it's it's going to be one of those like we saw it coming a mile away that he wasn't going to be successful at wherever he goes next and then people Mm -hmm. were shocked but anyway um in the same vein of coaching struggles um i mean south carolina will must champ yeah like this season of all seasons to have a mid-season firing is uh i mean it's pretty shocking. It's I did not expect it when I saw it. I thought it was a, a fake account at first because I, I just sincerely sincerely did not believe it. And as we talked about pre-show, you can see the environment of not just college basketball, but college sports, you know, football included. Now they're going through their they'll soon be going through their coaching carousel. There wasn't much going on in college basketball last season. Not many people were let go. There are very few. There's very few turnover in terms of uh, jobs. I t- to see one midseason during a global pandemic is jarring, to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's costly for South Carolina too. When you're talking about like all of the issues within college athletic departments about not having yeah. money, they are just lighting it on fire to pay him to not coach there. And then you are, of course, going to have to pay a new coach. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were, they were two and five this season, they four and eight the season before. I mean, they, they, the downward trajectory for the last four years had been pretty apparent. Like nobody is arguing that Will Muschamp is a head coach that is going to bring your power six school success. Like that's just, we, we know what he is at this point. He's a very good defensive coordinator. He's not a good head coach. And not everybody can be a good head coach. A lot of guys, their ceiling for effectiveness is coordinator. And that's fine. He'll, he'll, he can get pretty much whatever, you know, a coordinator job at whatever school he wants. Um, but I would think at this point that, like, a third school does not give him a shot um, to be a head coach. Like, he you never could, know. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm I'm shocked he got another SEC job like yeah. as quickly as he did. That was like, sure he can go to like, I mean he can go down the ladder. He can pull a Hugh Freeze and mm-hmm. and go to a, a school like Liberty or at Liberty's level. Um, even that though, like, Hugh Freeze at least plays a more entertaining style of football that you can get people interested in your program. Right. Will Muschamp's never going to be that guy. Definitely not. And, like, go be a D coordinator somewhere. That's, that's as easy as it is. And, and, I mean, Dave Aranda made a career of it and was making tons of money at LSU before he left to go take the Baylor job. I don't think there's a problem with being 
an elite defensive coordinator and hell make the jump to the next level. If you, you really work your way up like that. So I don't, I don't see the issue with it. Like I I get from an ambition standpoint and stuff like that, obviously, you know, you're going to want to be the guy, be the head coach. I think sometimes you just got to recognize, you know, self-awareness is a very important trait and, uh, it, it could be very good for Will Muschamp if he recognizes that and then takes that into account moving forward. I mean, I have no problem doing it from Will Muschamp's perspective. If somebody is offering me the opportunity to be a head coach in the of SEC, course. I'm going to do course. it. I'm saying stop giving Will Muschamp head coaching jobs. Right. But I think, I think at the same time, though, you're just setting yourself up for failure, though, if you're Will Muschamp. And, like, yeah, I mean, I guess if, if money's the ambition, then, yeah, that's – easy game for you yeah and i mean i i I think any coach out there um, especially one that hasn't been a head coach before given the opportunity is going to do that um he like his track record is out there it's i mean it's it's been parts of nine seasons now at two different sec schools as a head coach um like to to screw up at florida is very difficult um South Carolina is a little more challenging of a job, but the same issues that plagued him at Florida, plaguing him at South Carolina. Um, the thing I didn't really like was I saw a lot of chatter online after he was um, unceremoniously fired about kind of talking, not even about specific candidates, but just in generalities about who South Carolina should be thinking about for its next head coach. And to a man, pretty much everybody I saw was saying, like, you absolutely cannot hire somebody with a defensive background. Um, seemingly just basing that on how the Will Muschamp experiment went, which I don't really it sounds understand. sounds like a Bears hire. Like, it sounds like everything people say when the Bears need to hire a coach. Maybe, but, like, I don't think you can – if you're South Carolina, I don't think you can automatically write off that, you know, whole entire group of people um, mm-hmm. just having a defensive background. It's like, you just don't want Will Muschamp to coach your football team. Like, I get that, right. but like, there are other defensive guys who can uh, good head coaches. And I, I understand from the perspective, like, and South Carolina isn't even this. I, I guess they're a little bit of a, a smaller fish within the SEC. They're not a small school in general. But generally speaking, if you are a, a smaller school or a school without any sort of tradition, you want to bring in, like, a more gimmicky offensive guy, like, quite literally, like, Liberty with Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of just that, that be your thing. But it's not impossible for defensive-minded coaches to go into schools um, without, you know, the best football tradition. And South Carolina certainly has some um, and, and build that into winning programs. And I, I hope it's been obvious what I'm building up to when I'm saying this. It's like, look at what Tom Allen has done at Indiana. I knew like, it was coming. I'm just glad they I, weren't in the winner's section. That's all I'll say. Oh, no, I, I mean, I, silly me being nervous about losing to tell mucker which i was yes. before the game i mean um, you should be because we've talked a lot of shit about tell mucker yes. a lot 
I did like I ju- I just don't know what it's like to go into a game with confidence, and I never will. But larger point, you can't ju- you can't just look at it from a black and white perspective. It's like defensive coaches bad, offensive coaches good. It's like each individual candidate should be evaluated on its own. So if that's the mindset that South Carolina is going to go into um, their next head coaching search, I don't, I don't even know if it. It is. It's just a lot of blue check marks talking online, but I think that would be unwise to just eliminate the possibility before you even started. I get the fear. Like, I completely get it. Will Muschamp had maybe the most boring style of football that we've seen in the SEC in quite a while, but not everyone is Will Muschamp, and that's what you have to realize. Yeah, and also, like, if you are – a defensive-minded head coach, your most important hire is offensive coordinator. Right. Like you, don't have to, you don't have to run the offense. You like should – can like, you don't need to pay like, that much attention. Give it to yeah. the coordinator. Be like, it's even better when you can say, look, the offense is his job. If he's not performing, I can just fire him and hire someone else. Because you can, you can a thousand percent back yourself into the corner if you're not an offensive guy and you hire a bad coordinator and – for the most part, that's more or less what Will Muschamp has done. And that was, again, I'm sorry, not everything needs to go back to Indiana football, but like the early, but it the, early Tom, the early Tom Allen days, like they, they struggled because he fucked up the coordinator hire. Like Mike DeBoard was just such a bad hire from the start. And once you start hiring competent coordinators like Kalen DeBoer last year and like Nick Sheridan now, your team improves dramatically um, when you like you have to know what you don't know and right. you hire somebody who is just a killer on that side of the ball that you you know don't have a level of expertise in then you're going to be successful so Will Muschamp never figured that out and his offenses looked like they would if he was coaching them directly um, and that's that's ultimately why he's he shouldn't be a head coach anymore yeah and if you want to take it like a step further to a more extreme it's like lsu realizing that offense has been their weakness for seemingly the last two decades and going out and hiring a plus offensive minds to lead what is now probably the greatest offense in college football history yeah a thousand percent it's a big difference having joe brady compared to like Cam Cameron or yeah. Matt Canada or any of the <laughs> other guys they had um, for years and years. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, but yeah, that's again shocking. This happened midseason uh, during pandemic year. Like, not saying that he deserved to keep his job, but just uh, interesting they didn't at least ride right. it out and uh, you know see what happened there. But. Anyway, um, any other losers for you? Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> that was just such a depressing game. Penn State. I mean, shout out Penn State live plus 14. That was a nice winner. But, my God, this team, there's no life there. there I mean, it's, it's all sorts of bad for James Franklin. And, uh, you know, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. But – they need to figure it out and figure it out quick, or they've got a real chance of being in a dogfight with Rutgers later this season. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, that, yeah, they, they're already being pretty convincingly by Maryland. Um, Maryland Rutgers is a game that I'm kind of interested in seeing now, um, which I may come to regret. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Penn State's just been broken the last couple weeks. And I, I just, I, I don't know what to say at this point. Like if you, if you can't utilize Nebraska as a get right game, I like. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and I feel like you said this about three or four different Big Ten teams now. But like, looking at the rest of the schedule, who should you feel confident again about playing? I guess if you're Penn State, I would. I'm still until they prove otherwise by beating them on the field. I would have a little confidence against Rutger and, in the same extension, Michigan State. Right. Um, and I know that's probably incorrect of me to assume because Penn State has won zero games and there is no reason that I should be confident in them outside of just the name of their team being Penn State. If they lose on Saturday to Iowa, they will have gone a full calendar year. I, actually, I don't know if I'm doing the math right, oh, but I think they will have gone start. a year without a win. That is very fun. Very possible. Iowa's looks very good the last couple of weeks. Yes, I need. I want to check that again, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Wow, I love that stat. Hopefully, it's true. Uh, but like, Clifford has looked pretty horrendous the last couple weeks too, and I I was never as high on him as as many were. I think a lot of the hype around him just conveniently was based on the fact that he played quarterback at Penn State and all of the talent that is naturally going to be around you in those positions. He made a lot of bad mistakes against Nebraska and Mm -hmm. no one is going to confuse Nebraska for a good football team if you live outside of the state. So I don't know. It's uh, if, If I'm Penn State, I'm certainly not full of confidence going into Iowa week. Right. There's, there's no reason to. It was the I, I read the wrong date. It was uh, December twenty eighth, not November twenty eighth. So it. it will be eleven months. Okay. So yeah, D- despite how bad they've looked, right? I don't think they're going to push it to a full year. But here's hoping. That we'll see. That's all my losers. It's all of mine as well. Um, quality, not quantity, this week. Correct. That's fine. All right. Um, So we've got three ranked matchups. And this week, um, which is three more than last week, so yay progress. Um, Let's start with the big one. Top 10 matchup. One you'd think. The big one's game day, right? Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. (laughs) Yeah. the, The one ranked matchup that doesn't feature a top 10 team. Or a team with any playoff hope? I mean, there there are two out of the of the ranked matches this week feature mm-hmm. like both teams defeated, and they went to the third one. God bless ESPN and their decision making. Fortunately, I'm not bitter. Otherwise, this this would be a real nightmare for folks <laughs> at home. Um, all right, but. Big Nude Saturday game, we'll call it. Um, and just 
potentially the the band of my existence. We'll see how it goes. But it's Ohio State. It's Indiana from the shoe. What are we thinking here? I think Indiana is going to keep this close. I think they're going to be in it for a vast majority of it, but I just think Ohio State is too good. Indiana is home to the best defensive back in the Big Ten. I have said it many times now. Uh, I was wrong. That is going to be huge because Justin Fields is going to be on full display. I think actually the, the play of the linebacking core for Indiana is going to be the biggest piece because if they can contain or help contain Justin Fields' run game and force him to throw it a little more, go a little strength on strength, Indiana might come out on, on top in that matchup because of the fact that their secondary has just been that good this season. Um, offensively, Penix has to be superb throughout the game. And if, and if they can get Stevie Scott going to really take some pressure off of him and open up downfield, Indiana will have a chance to score some points. I do think it's going to be a, a, a fun, fast-paced game. I think we're going to get a lot of points probably in the 30s, but I think Ohio State's going to end up winning. I think a 21-point line is a bit disrespectful. Um, I understand yep. immediate precedent, but historically over the last decade, decade plus, these games have usually been within a possession. Last year was more the exception than the rule, and Ohio State really took Indiana out behind the woodshed, which I will readily admit. Um, part of the problem, I think, is the secondary was so young and also – it was so early in the season um, that there was just they had not fully gelled yet, and the offense was still very much a work in progress, um, kind of picking up the pieces of the DeBoard era and Peyton Ramsey still at the helm. Um, I, I think Indiana is definitely going to have to sustain drives in this game. Um, you know, Michigan State just could not give the ball up easily enough last week and, mm -hmm. you know, created a lot of short fields. They also just randomly decided like fuck field goals in the second half and just went for it every fourth down and just ended up not scoring any points for some reason. God um, bless. They, tell. they should have, they should have won that by 40 plus. I really didn't understand it, but I'm not gonna, I'm not going to complain about being four and out, but Anyway, um, have to do a better job of that because Ohio State is not going to make as many mistakes and give you as many short fields. But I, I have reason to be confident for a couple factors. I think that Indiana's receivers have a, an advantage over Ohio State's secondary. Sean Wade is still a very good defensive back, but overall it's a young group and it's an inexperienced group. And Watt Fillier and Ty Freifogel have been on a different level recently, um, mm -hmm. especially Freifogel. Um, so I, I'm confident that they'll be able to, to put up big numbers and Penix will be able to sling it in the passing game. And, and hopefully Peyton Hendershot will, will make some easy catches in addition to the difficult ones he hauls in every week. Um, defensively, I like Indiana's secondary chances a lot more than I did last year. Fields is still going to, you know, for lack of a better term, have a field day. Um, this will, Ohio State's going to score no matter what, but I think 
Indiana's front seven is going to be able to get a good push. Like you talked about earlier in the season, like Nebraska is able to have their way a little bit against Ohio State's front. And Indiana's group is, is much more talented than that. Uh, Mike McFadden had a big game last week, three sacks from his linebacker spot. Jerome Johnson been having a strong season on the defensive line. I think those guys will be able to get through and get pressure on Justin Fields. And then again, like you said, as, as long as the second level can contain fields um, in those situations and make sure he doesn't get, you know, 15, 20 yards a pop when, uh, when he's pressured, then, then Indiana will be in good shape. All this to say, I have to pick the Hoosiers. You have to. I, I have like, to. There, there was no option here. You, you had no. to do it. You, it's like... It feels like, I guess, more Desmond Howard than Kirk Herbstreet because I feel like Desmond Howard picks Michigan or usually picks Michigan more than Herbstreet sides with Ohio State. But you got to lay out each side before you go with the pick we know you're going to make. I, well, I think the shocking thing last week is uh, Des picked Wisconsin, right? Yeah, but I think even he knows how bad this no, Michigan that, it team was, is. It was like a weird moment of self-awareness. Like, yeah. they, they made such a big deal about it. But normally, um, he's taken yeah. Michigan every single time. Yeah. Well, I mean, usually they're somewhat competent at football. But, yeah, I, I picked Indiana last year. That was uh, it's not as much fact-based as me kind of hoping they would finally get over the hump. This year, it is, it is very possible. There have been a lot of close calls. Um, but let's make this the year. Why not? Get some good content out of it. Why not? Why not is right. The other side of the Big Ten, Big Ten West, um, early division title, perhaps Wisconsin, going to Ryan Field, one of the, uh, the toughest places to play in these United States. I think it might be tougher, honestly, without fans. Like, I genuinely think it might be tougher without fans. My counter-argument to that is that's not as much of a contrast as it would be at most stadiums. Yeah, that's fair. It's just, I feel like, you know, just Evanston on the lake is just such like a, a dead zone. Yeah. No, it, it's like a, it's a, it's a sleepy serene place yeah like you're you're not going to have the equivalent of a penn state whiteout at ryan field that will never happen <laughs> definitely <laughs> but um in in terms of the game itself what do you what are you expecting here it's hard to pick against wisconsin right now um i i like northwestern i think their defense looks really good i think their offense has been very impressive like you said Getting the right coordinator in place is absolutely massive. And Pat Fitzgerald went out, fixed the problem, and the offense looks leaps and bounds better than it did last year to the point where they are no longer a liability. They can actually be counted on to make plays in big situations. I just – it's probably more from a lack of seeing as much about Wisconsin or seeing as much of Wisconsin, but they look – just too good right now. I, I think Wisconsin wins in a tight game, probably low scoring. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement there. Like, weirdly enough, both offenses have been much improved and have been putting up points with uh, with much more 
regularity than, than they have, especially Northwestern, but, but Wisconsin as well, over 40 points in their first two games this season. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm leaning Wisconsin here as well. I think it'll be close. I don't think it'll be more than uh, two touchdowns, but yeah, I, I think the, the Badgers are still the, the class of the Big Ten West, despite how improved Northwestern is this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they win, Jared Thomas, we, we, we owe you one. <laughs> Got to come back and tell us we're wrong. Yeah, well, that's, that's okay. Um, I, would, I would be happy to do that. Um, and then the actual game day, <laughs> Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Bedlam, just so much lower stakes than a typical year. But even so – The stakes uh, are none. Like, yeah, it's to play in the Big 12 title, but, like – Well, the, the stakes are to beat your rival. Yeah. Like, that, but, no, I'm, I'm not saying those I, are especially yeah. high stakes. I, there, I understand. There are, there are. There always are. Uh, I'm going to Oklahoma State. I mean, you knew where I was going to begin with. I think they've been the best team in the league all season long. The loss to Texas was unfortunate, but their defense looks very good. If the offense can ever play to its potential, they will be solid. And if there's a game for them to play to their potential, it is against a bad Oklahoma defense. So I'm going to take the pokes. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma state is like just close enough that I don't know if I can, uh, fully right off the Big 12 from the playoff if they win this game in convincing fashion. Um, obviously, that, that's a big if. Everything remaining the same, they're not going to sniff the playoff. But a convincing win here could, could do the job. Um, but I just don't know. I don't, well, I, I don't see that happening. That's that's basically what I was building up to. Like, even when Oklahoma State clearly has the better team, as I think they do this year, it just – it always feels like Oklahoma has their number. And, and this is the – this is the perpetual game of death by a thousand cuts. Like, Oklahoma State just cannot get one single stop to get off the field and – get into, um, you know, whatever lead Oklahoma's had. Like, Oklahoma's won the last five. They lead the all-time series 89 to 18. Um, that It's just – it's crazy how, how they have owned this uh, – this, I mean, it's, it's like Kentucky-Louisville in basketball. Like, is it really a rivalry when, when one team wins every time? But – yeah, I like Oklahoma State is undoubtedly the better team. It's just it's so hard for me to feel confident in them winning this particular game. I'm going to pick them because Oklahoma's defense has just been that bad, but I I think it'll be a lot closer than it should be. It Yeah, I I, I mean Oklahoma's offense has looked better. They, they've started to find their footing and find the rhythm, but their defense is just so bad. And the potential of the Oklahoma State offense is so great that I just – I can't not pick them and feel confident about it. 
Okay. We will, uh, we'll see how we do on those. Um, and again, as, as always for more college football talk, but with a heavier emphasis on gambling and catch us on the spread option. This week's episode, as they do every week, will be out on Friday. We'll talk about those ranked matchups and as we are wont to do, probably 20 to 25 more each. So come back for that. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we, always, we always love to, to break down stuff as, as real degenerates, but that's all the football we're gonna be talking about on this show because college basketball is just around the corner. And before we get into our first batch of conference previews, a little bit of, of news coming out um, in regards to March Madness, which again, we very much would want to see this year and not have to miss for the second year in a row. Uh, ideas being floated out about just all of the games being played in one place. Um, Indianapolis seeming like the clubhouse leaders, they do have a penchant for hosting literally everything. Um, so it's interesting because it seems like what is being described is for lack of a better term, a bubble, which is, which I was told we can't do with college athletes. It's, I, I don't understand what they're, what they're doing. Like I, I, I agree that playing everything in one place would be a great idea, but not, you know, when the NCAA has already coined like battle in the bubble or whatever they did months ago over the summer. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we can't do it with college athletes because it's going to be, you know, it, they're not professionals. We're not paying them this, that, the other. It's become, it becomes very clear at this point what the deal is. And it is that the NCAA simply cannot go a second year without its biggest revenue generator and that they will figure out at no matter or at no matter the cost how to make this year happen. So, one location I think is a cool idea. I think it would be fun. Um, I, I'm sure Indiana has enough. Indianapolis has enough infrastructure there in terms of places to play, places to practice, hotels, accommodations, whatever you need. Uh, but it would be nice to see some other cities floated out there as well. Yeah, I mean just. From Indianapolis perspective, because um, they, they've yeah they've hosted like Super Bowls, Final Fours. You can you can play at uh, Lucas Oil, at Bankers Life, um, Hinkle right there too. Um, something that was floated out a lot online as well before people thought about what they were saying is like if you extend it a little bit um, into other parts of, of Indiana or just the greater Indianapolis area, like all of the biggest um, high school like basketball arenas in the country are in the state of Indiana so like playing at some of those would have been cool but people didn't understand that the courts are not the same size right um, so you can't do that but you'll practice there but you can't play yeah yeah you'd, you'd practice at uh the wigwam or cathedral or any of these places but mm -hmm. um yeah be be interesting um and yeah but like the, the one nice thing I can say is like, at least you are trying to come up with some sort of plan greater than one week ahead of time. Cause this is really the first time we have seen right. anything like this um, since like from, from 
the NCAA about football or about basketball since the pandemic started. So mm-hmm. yay progress. Slow and steady, but they're doing it. <laughs> Something. Um, yeah. So ho- hopefully our, our teams make it after all this too. Um, so that, <laughs> that, it's a lot, not, but I, I, I will, I need it actually. Is not, what I yeah, need. not trying to speak that into existence. If, if nothing else, we have uh, Gonzaga. They should, uh, yeah. they should be good this year. Um, they're my preseason number one. I was, Might as I well. Was, I was first to that. Credit. Please credit. Credit this show. Um, all right. So let's start with the ACC. Um, so we go alphabetically through the conferences. Florida State, the defending champ, uh, the defending tournament champ. It was a great run by them. Um, and <laughs> they did lose a lot, though, uh, yes. to the NBA, which is atypical for Coach Ham um, in his long run of success there. Coming into the season, who is your preseason pick to win the conference? I ended up going with Virginia hesitantly. You don't sound excited. No. Uh, I don't know. I think Duke's going to be good. I think North Carolina is going to be good. I still think Florida State's very good. Uh, even even losing as much as they are. Virginia has questions, I think, offensively. What is Sam Hauser going to bring to the table? Can Casey Morsell step up? Is Kihei Clark going to be a legitimate scorer? Jay Huff, what is he going to be able to do? These are all big questions that they need answers to after losing Braxton Key and Mamadi Diakite. I think at the end of the day, they're still going to have a – like this is probably one of their best defensive starting fives that they will have under Tony Bennett. And I think because of that, the offense doesn't need to be as good. And they certainly have guys that are capable of taking over the scoring on a nightly basis. It doesn't have to be this, the same guys throughout the entire season. So I, I'm going to go Virginia. I, I looked for every reason not to, but I went with Virginia as well. Um, so, so a few too many question marks for, for Duke and Carolina um, for my liking right now. But mm-hmm. I, I think they'll definitely both be right there. There are definitely question marks with Virginia too. People forget because they turned things around from a one-loss perspective, but people forget just how atrocious the offense was last year, spending a lot of the season – in the mid 200s from an efficiency standpoint um, Mm -hmm. certainly didn't pass the eye test they rarely do but especially abhorrent last year so a lot is going to be expected of sam hauser on that side of the court the defense is going to be what it is like these guys are are deeply entrenched in the ways the pack line jay huff is one of the better defensive big men in the country so even though you're losing diakite you still have a strong uh, defensive big man in there um, who can give you just enough offensively to remain a threat and, you know, help Virginia break the 60 point plateau, you know, once every three or four games, but like how Hauser is they're They're counting on him to be that guy, like Casey Morsell, they're hoping took a step forward um, offensively, but like Hauser has proven he can do it at Marquette. He had, 
all of last season to try to pick up or, you know, become a better defender because ultimately he can be the best offensive player in America. If he's not buying into the pack line, he's not going to get minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, run into a similar problem that Kyle Guy had early in his career. But like Hauser's got to be the guy. If Hauser is the guy that he has proven he can be at Marquette, they're going to win the ACC. And I'm more confident in him doing that than what Virginia has kind of done in years past where they have taken relatively unproven college players that are offensively talented and are, are just kind of saying, like, you are going to be the guy this year. Like they kind of did with Mariel Shayok a couple of years ago. Um, like Sam Hauser's, yeah, like Sam Hauser has proven he can do that already in uh, high major basketball at Marquette. It's coming over to Virginia as long as his defense has been improved to what it was under Wojo. He's going to get the minutes to do that and make it rain from deep. And like if he if he is clicking most nights, that'll be enough for Virginia because they're never going to give up a lot of points. It's the question is always where is the offense going to come from? They addressed the biggest hole in their roster, um, bringing him over. So I think that'll be enough to push them over the top. I was never the biggest Sam Hauser fan. Not like I, I, he was never someone I was afraid of when Seton Hall would play Marquette. Neither of the Hauser brothers worried me. It was always Marcus Howard. That said, he's got a chance to shine. He's no longer second or third fiddle in this case. Um, and like you said, if he can buy in defensively, he'll have all the opportunity in the world to play and run the offense through him. I think at Marquette, the Housers just put up a good amount of empty numbers, empty in the sense of they were giving up so many points every night. It didn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. looked great in the box score, but Marquette wasn't like, except for months at a time, nationally relevant. But I, I think both of them, um, Sam at Virginia and Joey at Michigan State, are going to be in much better situations and have an opportunity to showcase their talents to bigger audiences and have more of an impact on games themselves individually. Perhaps why they transferred in the first place, right mm. after Marcus Howard announced he was coming back. But Surprise. Who's to say? Certainly not us. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, UNC and Duke be the the biggest challengers, I would say. Strong freshman classes um, for both. Nothing new there. Um, But UNC needed it more after what a disaster last year was. So, not immediately going to put them atop the heap, but it'll be interesting to see how quickly Roy can get the – the new pieces to to blend with some of the holdovers and uh, kind of see what happens there. But for now, we're going Virginia, so we'll we'll see how that goes. I mean, we like you can tell listening to this that neither of us wanted to do this. We are but. so thrilled picking Virginia <laughs> to win the ACC. So begrudging. Um, all right, who is your uh, your dark horse? I, do, I, I took a cop out. I took Florida State. If I were to go down the list and take like a true dark horse, I would take Miami. Um, I like a lot of the pieces they've got. They bring back a couple solid guards and then they add 
a really good freshman in Earl Timberlake, and then Nicier Brooks over from Cincinnati. But that's not who I picked. I went with Florida State. Raekwon Evans, MJ Walker, Raekwon Gray, Malik Osborne all back. They have an absolutely enormous team yet again. I believe uh, Raekwon Evans is their shortest player at six foot four. Multiple seven footers coming off the bench. Scotty Barnes is a stud freshman who's six nine, expected to start right away. Uh, they're going to be athletic. They're going to be good. When are we going? Like when can we? As a, as a whole in the college basketball world, stop underrating Leonard Hamilton teams and properly put them in the top 15 where they belong because he has consistently churned out winners at Florida State. Yeah, at Florida State, too. Um, but, like, honestly, the, the middle tier of the ACC really does not excite me much. Like, yeah. if, you, if you had to throw a gun to my head, true sleeper, I don't know, Georgia Tech maybe? A um, couple of good returners yeah. in the backcourt and DeVoe and Alvarado, but it's got to be Florida State for me. Honestly, I, I really wanted to uh, pick them as just I champion. was so close to taking <laughs> them as just, the champ. I couldn't do it. And I, I know Coach Ham wouldn't appreciate that um, yeah. this early in the season. He's got to come, come from behind, surprise everybody. Uh, but, yeah, Scotty Barnes, Many expects him to be the best freshman in the conference, which again includes Duke and UNC and all of the five stars they bring in each and every year. Uh, I that which makes sense when you think about it, but it's just weird to see in writing. This is the 14th straight season that Coach Ham has had a seven-footer <laughs> roster. Like you said, he has two. Um, it's just preposterous. Um, I know the one year they would sometimes roll out, like in certain situations, they would play three at once. Yep. With like Christ Camaggi and others, just just ridiculous. Um, if if you're forward and over seven feet, you go to Gonzaga or Florida State. Um, That's it. That's your only option. It, no it one else offers birth. a scholarship. It is your birthright. <laughs> um, yeah, but I like Florida State. They from a pure talent perspective I, I think they're they're probably third um, behind Duke and Carolina because Virginia is like they're never the most talented team but they they execute so well in Tony Bennett's system um, but they are as you said extremely long extremely athletic they are going to dunk all over you um, and yeah they, I mean they're extremely they're, active defensively which I think is yeah. maybe their most underrated piece yeah I mean like most famous example of that I think of is uh, the the second round game um, a few years ago, back when Notre Dame was still in the Big East, and they were they were the seventh seed, and they absolutely blitzed second seeded Notre Dame by like mm -hmm. twenty, and it was just like you could tell how shell shocked Notre Dame was playing such an aggressive uh, right. defensive team that was just so much more athletic than every single player on their roster. Right. That's who Florida State has been. That's who they will be again this year. They will be a, a fixture in the top 15 nationally. Um, and yeah, it happened last year. I know they lost a lot. Um, this is not necessarily a program that is built to withstand multiple early entries to the NBA, not to mention um, a program mainstay like a Trent Forrest, but they lost that. They're still going to be pretty damn good. They're going to be fun to watch, too. Yeah. Always understand when, uh, when Coach Ham 
and co take the court with you know the the one obvious exception being just perennially now the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but can, can let that slide for one game. Yeah. Um, so a little different this year. We don't have a lot of turnover in the coaching carousel. I don't know if you heard, there's a pandemic. So it saved a lot of coaches' jobs um, last year because, you know, March Madness was canceled season just kind of ended right as they pan- the pandemic at large was kind of starting. And I think a lot of schools just like, I mean, we don't, we don't need to pile on right now. Wake Forest was not one of those schools. Um, no, yeah. they were not. <laughs> they got, I, I was trying to think like, were there any uh, like power six new coaching hires besides Steve Forbes? I think it's just Steve Forbes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Nobody's expecting him to do anything first and the anyway. All-time hire yeah. video too. Yeah. Spiking the mask in the practice facility. I, I don't know what the intention was, but the result was just making the man look absolutely deranged. And you can't convince me that was not at least 50% of the decision for Olivier Sar to transfer. Yeah. Um, so, like, it was already going to be a pretty bare cupboard there for Steve Forbes, now even bearer. Um, I didn't even mean to talk about any coaching hires. I was, I was going to introduce that as saying we're not going to talk about that this year, but Steve Forbes is the one. Um, yeah. So, we got that out of the way. He, he exists. He is the Mel Tucker of college basketball. Congrats, Steve. <laughs> that, is, that, that is the role. Um, but there are a lot – of talented players to to watch. Um, I mean, almost every team in the conference, I, I really couldn't think of much nice to say about Wake Forest, but almost anybody else, there are, there are guys to highlight. Um, starting, you want a, uh, a former star from a school called Fenwick. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes, there is. Uh, DJ Stewart, very cool that uh, Fenwick's got to keep another guy back at Duke. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, Corey McGuinty, ever heard of him? Yeah, ever heard of him. I, uh, I tried to – so I, I did this a little differently than I do on football just because there's so many more players in football. I tried to grab at least one from each team. So I think I'm just going to run through each team and we can kind of – maybe we'll just go back and forward like that. Right. Um, Virginia, my player to watch is Casey Morsell. He can show up offensively. That is going to be an absolutely enormous ad for Tony Bennett because we've said Sam Hauser is going to be the guy offensively, but who's number two? Jay Huff certainly can be that guy. But if Hauser can't shoot it from outside, he's going to have to play a more mid-range to inside offensive game, and that is going to clog the lane, making it tougher for Jay Huff. You need a, a guard to be able to score, and Morsell can be that guy. Um, yeah. DJ Stewart, obviously Fenwick. You know, got to choose him <laughs> as, as the Duke guy. Um, and then Garrison Brooks could be the best player in the conference from UNC. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly the most experienced. Um, j- just from those three teams, I, yeah, my, my player to watch for Virginia, I think will be the, the X factor or whatever cliche you want to throw on it, is going to be Jay Huff. Yep. I don't think he'll be the leader offensively, but he's, he's certainly had his moments this year of – or not this year, in his career of, you know, those 
those 10, 12-point games, getting an emphatic dunk and just losing his mind because um, it so rarely happens. But right, it's defense first at Virginia. He is the back line of the pack line, um, and he is going to have to do a lot more of that just because he won't be able to you know, share or alternate with Diakite in there. So his effectiveness will determine Virginia's ceiling for the most part, I think. Um, and then going down the line uh, for Duke, there, there's a lot of, of guys you, you like. Jalen Johnson is another guy who could yeah. contend for best freshman in the conference. Shocker, there's a lot of good ones again. Um, but it, for, for Duke, the key to me this year is kind of their, their holdovers. There's a little bit of a disappointing season for Matthew Hurt, um, yeah. Wendell Moore last year and it's it's weird situation being sophomores at like duke and kentucky in the modern age because for a lot of these guys that means something went wrong because you're coming out of college or out of high school as like a top 20 four or five star guy like you're going to a one and done pipeline um so a lot of times you're forced out um just because that you your roster spot was recruited over because they seemed to be gone. Obviously it didn't happen here. Those guys are going to have to take a big step forward for Duke to a knockoff Virginia because Duke is nationally being, I don't want to say overlooked. Said that, that makes it feel like I'm feeling sorry for Duke, which I never would, but they're, they're not really in anyone's top five, um, basically a fringe top 10 team, which, is rare Um, Mm -hmm. so I mean credit to them for consistency but those guys are gonna have to step up this year um, it does also feel like like you said when you become a sophomore at Duke though you it's almost added pressure because people expect like oh you've been you've been through the you know the gauntlet you understand what coach K wants to run you understand the offense you know now you need to step up and be a leader and you know produce yeah yeah that's that's true and Unfortunately, the like the longtime Duke players are usually the the worst ones at basketball, but can sometimes take on like larger than life roles um, from a leadership perspective. Like think of guys like Lance Thomas or or Brian Zubek, just, yeah. just guys you remember, um, not for being good. So it's it's striking a balance there because um, because mm-hmm. Hurt and Moore certainly still want to play in the NBA, but they just got at least an extra year of college to to kind of get to that level, and then. Uh, North Carolina have had a great run of point guards. They have another good one, Caleb Love, yep. um, another good freshman. Um, so he he's one of of many newcomers. Their uh, their top three national class that they're going to pair with all the returners in the front court, like Garrison Brooks that you mentioned, um, to try to you know forget last year and get back to the top of the ACC. Yeah, and Armando Baycott, when he's healthy, had, was very good last year especially on the glass, really good rebounder. Um, David Johnson at Louisville, another guy that when he's healthy was superb. He had an awesome season last year. We talked about Florida State already. Scotty Barnes is, is the guy to watch. He is the highly touted freshman and should take the role of basically do-it-all guy. So he'll be fun, fun to see. And then I mentioned these guys at Miami, but my – Player to watch on Miami is going to be Nysir Brooks, how he does after the year off. Great rebounder, 
just a, a solid interior, big shot blocker should be fun to see how he fits in with this Miami team because they will have very contrasting styles uh, in terms of offense and defense going from a five foot seven point guard to a six foot 10 Nicere Brooks down in the paint. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, Chris likes the short King. Um, yes. That's, uh, that is the extent of my notes. Um, but yeah. Louisville also, uh, Carlick Jones coming over from Radford, big time score. Um, Louisville lost a lot. They will, you know, they'll be they'll be in the top half of the ACC. But I mean, nobody's really expecting them to contend this year. Um, they'll they'll need a lot from Jones to make up for a lot of what was lost. Um, mm-hmm. As I mentioned, Georgia Tech, Michael Devoe, Jose Alvarado, um, arguably the best returning backcourt in the ACC and big reason why Georgia Tech could potentially uh, sneak into the top five. Um, Cause again, like after the quote unquote, big four of Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, Florida state wide open. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, Syracuse, another, another team that, uh, could have a, a high ceiling, low floor, at least within the conference standings. Buddy Bayheim, of course, is going to jack it a million times a game. They're um, going to shoot a shit ton of threes. Yeah. Joe Girard, Alan Griffin, Buddy Bayheim, like those are all three point shooters. And then uh, Dolajai, who's like, yeah, kind, kind of a big man, but not really, but kind of. <laughs> he and I weigh the same. He, yeah, he seems like he's there for year seven. Um, yeah. So he's, he like he he never it's always kind of a weird visual like him standing next to a lot of the bigger like a Garrison Brooks or mm-hmm. whoever um, in the ACC but he's he's always been very productive yeah um, and they're going to need him to be once again uh, Clemson Almir Dawes back again he he feels like another dude that's been there forever yeah. uh, NC State's got DJ Funderburk back he is so good with such a great name. Um, it's, it stinks that they're not going to be that good this year, but he is a ton of fun to watch. Notre Dame, Prentice Hub. Um, Pitt has Xavier Johnson, who could be quietly one of the best players in the entire conference. And I am interested in uh, – we wanted to talk Wake, Isaiah Mucius. He's, he's pretty good. And then uh, I'm intrigued to see how Makai Ashton Langford does at BC, the Providence transfer. Yeah, um, stat a couple got Prentice Hub will be big in Notre Dame. Also, uh, Cormac Ryan coming over from Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they they it, it seemed like a lot of work for Mike Bray and Notre Dame just to get back to what they did last year, even though it wasn't really contending for an NCAA tournament berth. Um, just a lot of wins, but not very good ones. So, those guys are going to need to have to take a big step forward to kind of stay at that same level so they don't just fall right back to where they were. Right. Um, Braxton Beverly at NC State, mm-hmm. too. Um, Another forever yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, him, him and Funderburk, um, they're going to have to try to make things happen this year for uh, for Kevin Keats, which will be a challenge for sure. Um, who else? Who else? Oh, uh Carter Diara um, from Kansas State, now at Virginia yeah. Tech. They, they had a big transfer loss of their own. Landers Nolly going over to Memphis. So 
had to make up for it a little bit at uh, Bruce Weber's expense, but could be another long season in Virginia Tech. Was a long season last year after their hot start. They really right. kind of fell off a proverbial cliff, um, but life in the ACC. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's all I had that, that you didn't already cover. Yeah, that's that's what I got. That's the ACC. Cool. Sigh, Virginia. All right. <laughs> I just love how neither of us was excited about that at all. You can't very, be. It's very appropriate. Yeah. No, we're 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 just we're just honest about who we are. Like That's we all. like we discussed with Austin Torres, it's an eyesore to watch, but he has said it's incredibly well coached and it's effective, and we've yeah. seen the effectiveness. Yeah. All right, uh, Big East, your home turf. Here we go. Who's your champion? Uh, I'm going to go with the one of the three reigning champs. I, I just like to remind everyone that the Big East title was split who, three ways. Who, who were those three champs last year? In case the people at home forgot. Villanova, Creighton, and your Seton Hall Pirates. Uh, first time in a long time. Big East regular season champs. Uh, it's got to be Villanova. If Gonzaga is the best team in the country, Villanova is second or third. Baylor is also up there, a team we will talk about a little bit later. Villanova is absolutely loaded. They are bringing back basically everyone from a very good team last year and have only gotten better. It's going to be tough. Um, there is a clear top two, I think, in the Big East, and then there's a clear middle of the pack, and then there's Georgetown. And it is, it's going to be a fun season for sure, but I think Villanova should run away with the league title. Yeah, it, it feels like Moneyball a little bit. Um, yeah. Just thinking of Georgetown, like the, the 50 feet of crap and then Georgetown. But yep. I don't know, prove me wrong. We know Patrick Ewing listens to this. So there's the, there's the bulletin board material he needs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, like, not to, not to insult your beloved Pirates at all, but it seems like it's Villanova, it's Creighton, and then it's everybody else, um, at least at this point in the calendar. Um, I would agree. I'm, I'm going with Villanova as well. Um, you lose Sadiq Bay, you bring back just about everybody else. And it's, it's classic Villanova in the sense of you're not necessarily going to have a superstar. It's, it's going to be an extremely balanced, extremely efficient attack. Um, certainly you are going to have some, some players better than others, like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, um, reigning freshman of the year in the conference. You would expect to take a step forward. Colin Gillespie, who in some form, whether it's Ryan Archidiakno or as himself, has been at Villanova for the better part of a decade, um, is, is going to have another strong season. Um, 37.3% shooter from behind the arc last year. Um, and then you know, Jermaine Samuels, Justin Moore. Yep. Villanova goes as, as deep as anybody. And you have Jay Wright, too, who no longer has the stigma of not being able to win the big one. He's won it twice. Um, so he, he has that championship pedigree. He, he still has the phenomenal fashion sense on the sideline, um, but they're definitely going to be challenged by Creighton. Um, Creighton probably has the best player in the conference. Um, Creighton's biggest thing at this point, I think, is just who is interior production going to come from? Because they, yeah. they have great perimeter players, Zagorowski, 
um, and Balak and Mahoney, but they they have they have big guys on their roster, but no one with you know meaningful experience to speak of um, really. So yeah, if they can if they can get production from somebody inside, then they could potentially seriously challenge Villanova. Yeah, I don't know that it. it matters that much because of just how Villanova plays right now. Like Robinson Earl obviously is a big and he's very good in the paint, but he isn't down. It's, it's like a four out offense basically that they run. They, they yeah. usually aren't playing in the lane. So the, stylistically they actually match up really well with each other, which is why those games are going to be so much fun. That said, you know, player on player, Marcus Zagorowski is probably the only guy on Creighton that in a one-on-one matchup is going to be the better player. Yeah. That's, that's why they'll on paper finish in second, but right. You got to play the games. That Um, you do. Who is your, uh, your sleeper? So I want deep. I want deep down the, the standings. I don't think this team can win the Big East, so that's kind of like a, a bullshit move on my part. But Not necessarily. I'm going to take St. John's. I, and, and we made fun of the, the Mike Anderson hire, I know. But his style of play fits this team so unbelievably well, and we saw it coming into play later in, late in the season last year when they beat Creighton, took Villanova to the wire, took Seton Hall to the wire, took – basically every team in tight games, they play just this up-tempo, in-your-face, almost like Shaka Smart at VCU-style basketball. And another year of this is only going to make it better. Yes, they lose Mustafa Heron. Yes, they lose LJ Figueroa. I actually think that helps them. Heron was injured basically all of last year and didn't really play much. Figueroa's usage was pretty high, and he was not very efficient last year. I thought Rasheem Dunn was the best player on the team. He's back. 12 points a game, four rebounds, three and a half assists, and a steal. They add really good Juco in Vince Cole. They've got Julian Champagny back, who is awesome. He was so good last season. Marcellus Erlington, despite being undersized, had a really good year in the paint. I like Josh Roberts. I like Greg Williams. And they've got a lot of new faces, including a really good freshman, Posh Alexander. So I think the Johnnies can surprise people. Do not be surprised if they make a push for a, a top half of the league finish and maybe even an NCAA tournament berth. It's a wild two-sentence run in which I was told they're going to surprise me, but do not be surprised. Yes. Um, yeah, but that was, uh, that was a deep sleeper. You, you sold that. Uh, that was as advertised. Um, I did not go quite as deep, um, but I, I'm going with UConn here. And they are, they're in the Big East. They are. I, I, I figured that would upset you, yes. I, I'm sorry. But, it's disappointing. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I, w- I was a little critical of UConn fans who thought they would come into the Big East and just start winning championships um, as if they had done anything of note in the American. Mm-hmm. But the timing is pretty good for their roster um and book Knight is one of the best guards one of the best players in the conference and this is a good young roster um indiana played uconn last year and it was an extremely ugly game a l- large part because akoka cook had a season ending achilles injury but before that 
he was the best player on the court. And if he can regain anything resembling that effectiveness before his um, injury, that would be an electric one-two punch of him and Book Knight. Um, honestly, like I, I think on paper, UConn's probably, you know, fourth best team in the Big East. Um, I mean, it just needs to uh, to get a couple of bounces to go their way. And I mean, there's this is triggering, I know, but they could potentially challenge um, for a, a top seed in the, the Big East tournament. Not that they will, but they could. They, this is more what we expect from UConn in terms of talent. They are certainly closer to the level you'd expect. I mean, Tyrese Martin, the transfer from Rhode Island, is probably going to come off the bench. They've got a four-star forward, Adam Sinogo, who's probably going to come off the bench. They've got RJ Cole, who who's one of the nation's leading scorers when he was at Howard. He's probably going to come off the bench. I mean, there, there's a lot of talent on this team. It's can they get it to work together? And, you know, is Book Knight still going to get his shots and be as productive? Uh, I, I agree that UConn's going to be good. I also agree that it's funny to see UConn fans chirping the Big East as if, you know, they were lighting the world on fire in the American, which is not a bad conference, but certainly not near what the Big East has been over the past few years. So it... I'm intrigued to see what UConn can do. I, I think they'll be middle of the pack, but I also think they will contend in games against the top teams. I, I don't think anyone's blowing them out this year. The American is not part of the power six. The end that is that. correct. People forget that. They t- Some do. From, from like, uh, who is that random guy online? I think he was like a Temple fan. Yes, that's right. The temple guy. <laughs> one, of, one of four in existence. Yep. Um, all right. Um, who are some of your other players to watch? Um, so my, my biggest player Villanova to watch is Justin Moore. Brian Anton, it seems, is hurt yet again, which is super unfortunate because he's a five-star kid out of Jersey and looked to be like one of the guys that would compete for minutes at the two or the three for Villanova. Justin Moore is now that guy that's going to be taking over. He had a really good freshman year. Expect him to take another step forward, which is going to be disastrous as I saw him drop in like 20 plus on senior day in person. And he has just outrageous range. Creighton, my player to watch, I mean, Zegarowski, he's the best player in the conference. He's going to win player of the year so long as he can stay healthy. Um, Really disappointing that we missed out on him. Providence is a very interesting team that we have not talked about yet. They have so much talent and they bring back a lot of interesting pieces. I think AJ Reeves for me is the player to watch because we know what David Duke can do on both sides of the ball. AJ Reeves was the offensive firepower for the really down part of Providence's season last year, where we thought they may as well throw in the towel because it's, it's lost and and gone for Um, If he and Duke can work together offensively, I think we're going to, they're going to have a real good shot to to force uh, the table and uh, play up with Villanova and Creighton. Um, Marquette Dawson Garcia is probably the best freshman in the conference, but I think Theo John is the guy to watch. I've said it so many times on this show, but if Theo John can stay out of foul trouble, he is maybe the biggest difference maker as a big man in the entire big East. He alters shots. He's a shot blocker. He can out-rebound just about anyone, and he's super athletic. 
if he can stay on the floor, it will be huge for Marquette. Um, I think I, maybe I'll just run through every team at this point. Uh, RJ Cole at UConn, outrageous score. What will he be able to do in Dan Hurley's offense? Kiki Tandy at Xavier, another really good scorer. He's going to have the keys to this offense because they really don't return much offensively. Um, with Najee Marshall gone, Tyreek Jones gone, they need somebody to take over. Butler loses a ton. Bryce Enzi returns. He is awesome. He, he should be a double-double guy each night. Rasheem Dunn is my guy at St. John's, the, the engine of the entire team offensively and defensively. There's really not a lot on Georgetown, but they look like they have a very good big man in Cutis Wahab, so watch out for him. DePaul, you got to go Charlie Moore. He is, he is the start and the stop of that entire team. He needs to be way more efficient with the ball. As a point guard, he turned it over simply too much, and in crunch time, cost them a few games. If he can get better with his decision-making, he will be significantly – DePaul will be in many more games this season and, and won't be the bottom feeder that we all expect. Seton Hall, I have yet to, to really talk about them. Uh, the Miles Powell era is over. Romero Gill is gone. Quincy McKnight is gone. There are a lot of pieces to fill in. For me, the biggest player to watch is Miles Kale. Four-star recruit out of high school, one of the top-rated recruits Seton Hall has ever got, and he has done basically nothing offensively outside of hitting a game-winning three against Kentucky at the Garden. Can he take the step forward now that there is no big name in front of him, and it is basically his and Mamu's team to run, or is he going to get outshone by a guy like Jared Roden? You also have to watch Iko Biagu because the paint is empty now. Seven foot two Romero Gill is gone. Seven one Obiagu comes in. The Florida State transfer, one of those seven footers we talked about earlier, for Leonard Hamilton, um, he needs to improve significantly from where he was last season. And if he can take anywhere close to the step that we saw Romero Gill take from his first to second year at Seton Hall, it will be huge for the Pirates. Yeah, and and if Bryce Aiken can contribute anything, that would uh, yep, that'd be a real treat. Stay healthy. Well. Just stay healthy, Bryce. That's all we need. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, this exercise was a little triggering for me because it was basically like, let's relive all of these high-profile recruiting misses. Yep. Uh, like the last five years. Um, yeah, like David Duke, David Duke is that guy um, at Providence. Um, like, you, ha- you have to try to replace the production of Alpha Diablo somehow. Um, it's Providence is going to be what I, I feel like they are every year, just kind of feisty, scrappy, fight their way into the top half of the Big East, but um, not seriously going to contend for a title or anything like that. Um, Paul Scruggs at Xavier, he's going to have to do more than – 12.7 points he put up last year. So as you mentioned, there is a lot of production lost. Um, and I mean, it, it makes sense that, that he would up his game as a senior on that team. Uh, Dawson Garcia, like you said, could be the best freshman in the conference. Um, fellow newcomer DJ Carton there as well. Um, Marquette, so they'll have good individual pieces as they typically do. But the question is always like, Will they actually do right. anything of note on the defensive end and within the hierarchy of the conference? What will um, Wojo out, do? Outside of like two or three weeks at a time. Right. Um, yeah. 
Dawson Garcia is a uh, big time talent, very smooth, big man. Um, yeah, it's so like, he, I'm not gonna call them out by name because the world does not deserve to hear more of them. But like that Indiana centric podcast that I hate of the two like 40 year old dudes that are so cringeworthy, like. When Dawson Garcia was down to, I think it was just Indiana and Marquette. I believe um, so. They made like a, a music video of sorts for him. Um, mm. Just a lot of tweeting at a 17-year-old online, which... I can now see like, why Garcia is at Marquette. Don't tweet at recruits, just yeah. in general. Um, good or bad, like, just don't do it. Like, why? You're, you're an adult tweeting at a child to right. go to a school that you went to or like. Just don't be that guy. Uh, but anyway, that was one of my first um, introductions to to Dawson Garcia, unfortunately. Um, but I've watched a lot of tape on him uh, before and after Indiana lost out on him and just filled even more with regret. Um, but he he will be good individually for Marquette, as will Carton. And again, you just have to see how he can actually do uh, for Wojo because, I mean, He's gotten a lot of hype for having very good players, but not a lot of very good teams. Yeah. Um, and then Aaron Thompson, still at Butler. Uh, mm-hmm. Butler's another team where you're losing a lot without Kamar Baldwin, without Sean McDermott. But in addition to Thompson and the Bryces you mentioned, they are also bringing in a very, very good freshman class. Um, so this year won't be Butler's year necessarily, although we do say that mainly every preseason um, last year they were eighth i believe and got I, up to number five in the country i don't know if i've ever seen them higher than like seventh in a biggies preseason poll yeah they just they each just, and every year they just overachieve um, like clockwork but if you know they actually meet expectations rather than exceed them like the next two three years should be uh, very good at hinkle um and then, yeah, he said, it's Charlie Moore's show now at DePaul. Feel bad for DePaul a little bit because strides were taken last year before they, like Virginia Tech, fell off the proverbial cliff. Then you lose Jamin Coleman, Jalen Coleman lands, you lose Paul Reed, and you are more or less back to square one. But you've got, you've got Charlie Moore, you've got Romeo Weems, you, you have some talented players still, and you have hopefully Georgetown to keep you out of the cellar. So mm-hmm. progress of sorts. Um, but yeah, it's uh, not, not a lot else to, uh, to write home about for DePaul this year. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. Ray Salmay will be interesting, the Monmouth transfer, because he can score. But they did, they did get another hyphenated last name to, to replace Jalen yeah. Cole fans and Javon Freeman Liberty. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they were loading up on transfers again, but yeah. It's... They do have reinforcements as well. They have a top 10 recruiting class for 2021. So that's something to watch out for. That will, that will finally be the thing that gets them to seventh place. Yeah. <laughs> Returns them to relevancy within the bottom half of the Big East. Yes. Um, all right, so two down, one to go. Big 12. A lot of good teams in the Big 12 this year. Yeah. Um, most notably, um, preseason pick, not Kansas. Yes, Baylor. They're, 
they're good. Is their coach good? We don't know. But Baylor's a good team. Uh, basically, everybody is back from last year's team who was superb and surprising. They reached the number one spot last year. Uh, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, Davion Mitchell, Mark Vital, Tristan Clark, Matthew Mayer, Flo Thamba, like all these guys are back. They only lose Freddie Gillespie, who is definitely a loss. They had a bunch of newcomers via transfer and a couple of recruits like LJ Cryer. Um, but the starting five is pretty much back and they are going to be very good and they will have the best backcourt in the country. Yeah, Jared Butler is unquestionably one of the best players in the country. And yeah, I mean, everyone except for Gillespie is back from what was an elite defensive team last year and promises to be again, um, which not necessarily a rarity in the Big 12. There are a lot of good defensive teams, but mm -hmm. um, at the level they were last year, they were, uh, they were as good as anybody. And yeah, it's, it's weird coming into a season where Kansas is not the prohibitive favorite. Even if um, Dotson had returned, like this would still be Baylor's yeah. conference to lose. Um, which, which is crazy that we're at that point. Like there is, there's a very solid second tier of teams and Kansas is in that grouping, but it's, it's Baylor's to lose. It really is. They, uh, they're just that good and they're going to rely on that guard play much like they did last season. And any, anything they can get out of the interior will be gravy because of how good the backcourt is and the perimeter will be. Yeah. Um, all right. This could be another one where we differ just because I feel like there are so many teams to choose, but who is your big 12 sleeper? I love Texas tech. I love Texas tech. Uh, Namari Burnett is a really good freshman. Kyler Edwards is back. Terrence Shannon is back. They've got a bunch of really good transfers who all got waivers, like Mac McClung, Marco Santos Silva, Joel Ntambwe from UNLV. There are a lot of really good pieces for a very good coach in Chris Beard, as, as we already know. Their biggest flaw last season was not having a lead guard and not really having like the, the true scorer. They've got both of those now. So I'm excited to see what this team can do. They're going to be great defensively per usual. I contemplated picking them, but you can't pick against Baylor to be the champ. So I, I thought about it for a second because I just love their roster and I love the guys they've got, but you can't in good conscience pick against Baylor. No, you can't. Um, yeah. I mean, Texas tech is, is now the transfer school. Um, like it was, yeah, it was Nevada for a little bit. It was Iowa state before that. Um, and, and Moss is still getting transfers to Arkansas, but I, I think right now it seems most notable one is Texas Tech, a little bit of uh, Frankenstein's monster, just seeing how all of the different parts fit together. And uh, they'll be a force once again. I went elsewhere in the state. I went with Texas. And Ooh. it's a little bit of uh, throw down the gauntlet time because if Shaka Smart extends this streak to six years without an NCAA tournament win with this team, I don't know how you keep him on the payroll. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you've got a great backcourt. Um, 
Matt Coleman, Andrew Jones. You have another five-star freshman big man uh, that, like, improbably, you have done nothing with all of the five-star big men that you have gotten, like, seemingly every single year. Uh, right. it, it's patently ridiculous at this point. Um, but I don't know, Jericho Sims back on the roster as well. He has all Big 12 potential. Um, I just like Texas is just as good as, um, you know, that anyone in the next tier after Baylor, like your, your Texas Techs, your West Virginias. Um, but they have perennially underachieved. And again, it's like, it's hard for me to put a lot of faith in Shaka Smart in the Big 12 just because he hasn't like figured it out and at this rate might never, but you got to be able to put it together with this roster. You have to. It's, it's do or die. I mean, it, like you said at the, at the top of this Texas soliloquy is it's time. If you are Shaka Smart, you have to do something. You return so much and so many talented players the backcourt is back. Andrew Jones is healthy, and he looks very good. Matt Coleman continues to play very well. Jericho Sims, I mean, like you said, another five-star forward. Like, how many more big men can Texas recruit and still not make the NCAA tournament with? Time has come. This is it. Do or die. I, I agree. I think they're going to be good. I think they'll be in the top half. I think they'll make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Some, uh, some players to watch. Uh, let's talk. I mean, we talked Baylor, we talked Texas tech, we talked Texas. Let's go to Kansas. Ochai Baji, obviously he's, he's one of the best defenders. Let's see if he can, he can step up his offensive game. Marcus Garrett, another top defender that is back. Um, West Virginia, you've got Oscar Shibway and Derek Culver two of the better big men in the entire conference. Cade Cunningham, I mean, he's basically the only guy to watch at Oklahoma State, in my opinion. Brady Manick and Austin Reeves are back at Oklahoma, both very good players. Um, TCU has not a lot after losing Desmond Bain, but I'll go RJ Nemhard as, as their guy. K-State has Mike McGurl still. He, he, he's basically it. As we talked it. about, Cartier Diara going over to Virginia Tech. And uh, Rasir Bolton, at Iowa State, when he's he when he's healthy, he's pretty good. Yeah, and I mean Iowa State's getting back into the the transfer well as well. Like you just mentioned, J Jalen Coleman lands leaving DePaul, ending up at Iowa State, and then Tyler Harris from Memphis as well is like the you you get lower into the standings in the Big Twelve, and it's it's everybody with a major hole. And for Iowa State, it's trying to find a way to replace a guy like Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. He's going to be a lottery pick. And the cupboard's pretty bare at TCU after a guy like Desmond Bain. And the, the cupboard is pretty bare at Kansas State after an improbable share of Big 12 title a couple of years ago took a big step backwards last year with, you know, what was an experienced roster even then. And then – you know, you're in even worse shape this year. So it's right. going to be an ugly winter for, uh, for Bruce Weber, for sure. But yeah, like you said, um, for, for West Virginia, this is back to 
how Bob Huggins likes to play. And they will definitely be a contender in this conference. Um, might be the biggest contender, even more so than, than Kansas, depending on, you know, how Thompson or how quickly Thompson acclimates to the college game. Because um, right. Chibwe and Culver, probably the best front court in the conference. Um, and then Miles McBride, the best guard they've got on that roster. Um, so it's, it's been a couple of slower years in Morgantown, but I, I think they're, uh, they're ready to go and, and get back into uh, playing the type of basketball that Huggy Bear likes and giving the rest of the conference fits. Um, but yeah, and Manic's been at Oklahoma for Ever. seven years now. Um, but they they had another big loss, like seemingly everyone in uh, in Christian Doolittle. But Manic and Reeves were both very productive um, throughout their careers, so they'll continue to do so. And will Oklahoma State be eligible for postseason basketball, or was all of this largely? Ways will they even be good enough to to make the yeah. tournament? That's that could be the more important question. Um, we just kind of assume, based on how good Cade Cunningham is, that they will be in that position, acting like Ben Simmons at LSU didn't exist. Exactly. Then again, um, Johnny Jones wasn't isn't the coach at Oklahoma, right. Oklahoma State that's, right that now. Is, that is the thing they have going for them. So. Yeah. Congratulations there. Um, yeah, but. This has a, the, the Big 12 has a very, very intriguing second tier. Basically, half the conference could reasonably contend for a title here. So you've got mm-hmm. Baylor's the preemptive favorite, and then Kansas, Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia. Any of those teams could have a, a realistic shot at, uh, if not outright, then at least claiming a share of the title. Um, right. After that, it gets a little dicier, and especially at the bottom, it's very ugly. But at least in the top half of the conference, it's uh, Baylor is the favorite, but half the conference could could win it. They really could, and it's going to be another competitive year in the Big 12, which is what we, we always like to see. And even teams like Oklahoma, or maybe Oklahoma State, depending on how well Cade Cunningham performs and his teammates play, they can – you know, Oklahoma in the past has done a lot with a lot less than a lot of these teams. Yeah. And I mean, they're, you say at least Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, they're, you know, top 40, top 50 teams mm-hmm. for sure. Um, just could be tough sledding considering who, uh, who else they have to go with. But yeah, if Oklahoma State is deemed, eligible for the postseason because Cade Cunningham's on the roster easily could be a uh, a seven bid league yeah which, I mean 70 percent of the conference you'll you'll take that every that's time. not bad at all <laughs> um yeah so that's it's our first batch of, uh, of conference previews we will be back next week with the big ton the Pac-12, and the SEC, and our pal Eli Becker will, will join us um, from Heat Trek to break those down with us. Um, speaking of Heat Trek, flawless transition. Nailed the, it again. The Sim, season four, um, I think we, uh, 
we played each other, didn't we? We did. Um, there was a tweet about it, and I, I sent you a picture so you knew what happened. Oh, okay. Um, things have not gone well since the first first uh, update we had. I am the number one offense, but I have lost to two of my biggest rivals, and uh, th- things are not going well. Are we are we counting Miami in that? Nope. Uh, we lost. We lost uh, to to Rutger. For the first time in Sim history, it's very unfortunate, but we have finally lost to Rutger. Wow. I will not be taking questions at this time. Okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. Um, yeah, I think uh, the Big East has the only two undefeated teams in the Sim right now, in uh, Butler and Creighton. Shout out to Creighton being uh, ineligible. <laughs> That's what, yeah. I'm glad I played them last year. Got that yeah. with the W. Um, yeah, that's uh, they're this year's Cincinnati. That's, they uh, are. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why you do that. I'm a, I'm a healthy eight and four right now, but I'm still ranked because just had a gauntlet of a schedule so far. Um, I was the uh, the best team in the SEC for most of the non-conference, but it looks like Kentucky has caught up to me. Um, but I've still still got wins over number 11, Illinois, number 22, Washington. And at one time, number 15, Seton Hall. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I just will never beat Clemson or Georgia Tech. I lost to Clemson by one this year, um, as I seemingly do every year. Um, but yeah, like I can only I can only get the kids excited about their one true rival. Like any any other games like that we play regularly that others might deem rivalry games, just they don't mean as much. It doesn't. Much like the SEC, it just means more. Um, I cannot get protected. Like my team does not get up for protected rivalries. We went two and two this year. We lost to Fordham last year. Like I, we're a mess. We can't beat Miami. Hadn't had a win yet this season. Um, I think you really, you really got their season going. I did. They haven't lost since. A little bit of a winning streak. So I don't know. Like every year, we will have a backbreaking loss in our um, in our protected rivalry games. I'm just gonna give into that right now and say whatever. It's it's there. It's gonna happen. I would love for it to stop, but it won't. I, I, I don't know what else to say outside of that. Like, we, we need to steal a couple games in Big East play, which we have not done the last couple of years. So I am going to be firmly on the bubble because my SOR is 50, despite being 9-3 and three with a couple big wins. Um, so, yeah. And I've only lost to, outside of Miami, I've only lost to two pretty highly rated teams because Rutger isn't terrible. Thank you. Um... Yeah, I mean, if you get a win over Butler and or Creighton, that would... That should do it, yeah. Definitely go a long way, yeah. But Villanova looks human this year. So yeah. maybe maybe I can beat Villanova. I mean, Vill- Villanova is fairly comparable to me right now, I would think. Um, they're 8-4, and four, I believe. Yeah, they're 8-4. and four. I have a little better SOR. Um, so they probably haven't played as challenging a schedule, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the. I mean, the one thing I can say is 
Like you, you do have the number one scoring offense, two of the top 25 individual scores, I believe. Um, you also, did you get a second top 100 recruit? I did. So we landed a, uh, I think the 67th ranked player. He's a small forward out of Pennsylvania. Um, we, we just need talent at this point. I have my eyes set on Joel Henderson, the number three recruit, the center from New Jersey, I believe. He would be the crown jewel in our uh, superb recruiting class to take place of Preston Fields. That is who I need from Jersey City, right down the road. Nice and, sh- nice and easy stay. Just come on down to South Orange and we'll take good care of you, Joel, because uh, we would love to cap off this very good recruiting class with, with a solid center. That's all we need right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to need another recruit too. I actually have not had a uh, a good recruiting season. I've gotten two recruits, but not neither in the top 100. Um, I actually had to go way down the list last time um, just to get somebody because I'm losing three guys for sure. Um, probably more if somebody goes pro, but mm-hmm. gotta gotta sign somebody every cycle just to eliminate the the risk of right. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. I just really want to not get a rando, but we will uh, we'll have to just hold out hope. But, yeah, conference play about to get underway. Um, I think I finally – well, the SEC is actually down, so I was going to say I think I finally don't have a challenging home-and-home, home, but – think that's more so because there's only like one other ranked team yeah we have a very difficult schedule twice still that would be appropriate i need i need to make a little run here that's what i need i i was joking but one of my home and homes is against kentucky (laughs) every year we did beat Fordham this year, ninety to fifty-two. So a bit of a bit of payback. Easily covered the eleven-point spread. Um, You're always about winning the aggregate. St. John's and then home against Villanova. If we can win those first two, and then Butler at home. If we can win two, of, if we can win two of three of any of those of those three games, I think we'll be in very good shape. But I don't feel that confident. Yeah, that would that, that should would, do it. Ranked win. Wow, that is that is a gauntlet to start. Yeah. Road game and then at least I'll yeah. Wow, yeah. Road game and then three straight against ranked teams. That's tough. Not ideal. That's the, and they're all the home sides of the home and homes. So that means later in the season I still have the road games because I play all the all those teams twice. I see that now. Yeah, because you, you play almost everybody twice. Yeah. That's fun. Wow. We do end the year with two home games, Providence and Marquette. But, man, if we could, if we could just start off hot. Yeah. Well, here's hoping. I don't know what else to say, but I would uh, 
I will say, my team not quite performing, I'm still enjoying. <laughs> the sin, like, it sucks losing to Rutger. I was hoping I'd never have to do it, or at least by the time we were done with this, I could, I could say I went unbeaten against them, but things happen. Well, being forced to play them every year kind of diminishes the chances of that happening. But right. Yeah. You, you would have liked to hold off on that for as long as possible. I get it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for your loss. It happens. All right. Well, that is, uh, that is about all we have for this week. Like I said, next week we will be back with, uh, with Eli for Big Ten, Pac-12, SEC basketball previews. We will get you caught up on Indiana's win over Ohio State and the rest of last week. And uh, <laughs> next week, um, but of course, before then as well, Friday, we will be back. Spread option for this week of college football and all the bets you need to lock in. Took a small step in the wrong direction last week, but still overwhelmingly in the black for the year. So that's all that matters. Um, We'll see you on Friday for that. We will see you next Tuesday for this show. And uh, yeah, everybody stay safe out there.